Welcome again to Grace Church and a special welcome to those that are listening from their living room and a very special welcome to our friends from uh, Cameroon, many of whom watch faithfully uh, every week. And a special hello to my uh, Cameroonian son, Eric. Uh, hi, Eric. And to uh, all of the others, whether you're in Dominica or Dominican Republic or Puerto Rico or wherever you may be, France, uh, welcome to Grace Church this morning. Today I will uh, begin a four-week series out of 2 Corinthians chapter 2. We'll be looking at verses 14 through chapter 4 and verse 18. Uh, not all in one message this morning, but four messages uh, talking about what it means to be adequate, to find our sufficiency in Jesus Christ. And this morning I'll talk a little bit about the problem we have with feeling inadequate to live up to what God expects us to do and uh, begin to look a little bit at the solution to that. But look at our text this morning, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning at verse 14. And I will read through chapter 3 and verse 6. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God, among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? For we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter of recommendation, written on our hearts to be known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Again, I want to talk for four weeks about finding our sufficiency or our adequacy in Jesus Christ. This morning we'll begin with what I call the defining of adequacy. What is it? What am I talking about? And if you look again at our text, you can see how the text I read this morning is brought together 
at the beginning and at the end. In verse 16, Paul asks, who is sufficient for these things? And then in verse 5 of chapter 3, he says not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God. I'm going to talk about being, being adequate in Christ, being equipped for the task that God has called us to. I'll give you two definitions that are basically my definitions of adequacy. First of all, adequacy is the transforming power of the gospel equipping us to fulfill God's calling in our lives. Adequacy is the transforming power of the gospel equipping us to fulfill God's calling in your life. And then secondly, which is more rooted in the text that we'll be looking at over the next four weeks, adequacy is the transforming power of the gospel equipping you for persistence, for purity, and for power in your Christian life and ministry. Adequacy is the transforming power of the gospel equipping you for persistence, for purity, and for power in your Christian life and ministry. Every believer, young or old, rich or poor, every believer is called to live faithfully for Jesus Christ. And the Word of God tells us that God makes us adequate for the calling that he puts upon our life. He alone is sufficient to make us adequate. I am inadequate. And I confess that. I must confess that every day. Because the moment I feel strong, I will never know the power of God in my life. When I am weak, Paul said, then am I strong. I like one of the definitions in the theological dictionary of the New Testament when it talks about this matter of adequacy. It says that a confession of personal incapacity is accompanied by a confession of God as the basis of all personal capacity. It's simply saying, if I will know God's making of me adequate, then I must confess that I am inadequate. Of course, this is what Jesus taught. In John 6, he said, the flesh profits nothing. In John 15, he said, without me, you can do nothing. In John chapter 12, when he was talking about a discipleship, he said, if you're going to follow me, then you have to become like a corn of wheat that is sown into the ground. You must die to yourself before you will ever experience the life that I want to give you. I know, as a human being, the feelings of inadequacy. I especially was mindful of that as a young Christian. 
How do I, as a high school dropout, ever get to college and succeed in college? How can someone whose speech was stammering and studying and stuttering, how can I respond to God's call on my life, to the many requests I had as a young Christian to give my testimony, to bring the word of God? How can I do that? And many times I just cried out, God, I am inadequate. I can't do it. But God's call is, yes, you are. But I, in Christ, can make you sufficient for everything I call you to. Christians live with feelings of inadequacy all the time. Am I adequate to win the battles that I'm fighting against sin in my life? Am I adequate to witness to friends and family that that, that don't welcome the gospel of Jesus Christ? Am I adequate to use whatever gifts I have to serve God faithfully? Am I adequate to live a life that is balanced with, with love and truth and grace and holiness? Am I adequate to live in loving relationships with other believers, some of whom are very difficult at times? Am I adequate for that? And I could go on and on. But we should know that the feelings of inadequacy is not sin. It's a reality of human nature, a reality of human inability. Inadequacy has touched the lives of most, if not all, servants of God. When God called Moses, what did Moses say? I can't speak. When he called Gideon, Gideon initially resisted God's call on his life. Who am I? When he called Jeremiah, Jeremiah said, but I'm only a child. He called Amos to be a prophet of judgment. And Amos said, but I'm only a, a sheep herder from the little, little part of the country called Tekoa. Who am I? Jonah, when called to bring God's message to Nineveh, would rather run and would rather die and fulfill the task that God had called him to. Paul confesses in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 that at times he was so overwhelmed with the challenges of ministry that he felt like he wanted to die. He despaired to wanting to die. Our sin is not the feeling of inadequacy, but our sin is the failure to believe that God is able, that God can make us sufficient for all things. And so this morning as we think about the text that I've read, I basically want to talk about two things as we seek to find our adequacy in Christ. I want to talk about some of the problems of inadequacy 
and then the promise that God gives us in this text. The problem of inadequacy, as I read this text and think about this text and try to apply what Paul is saying to my own life, I come up with four confessions that I make from Paul's words here. The first confession is this. I confess that I am personally inadequate to fulfill my responsibility to a lost and dying world. I confess I am personally inadequate to fulfill my responsibility to a lost and dying world. Who is adequate for this, Paul says? He says, we're the, we're the aroma of Christ and God among the world in which we live. And that aroma that comes from our life, from our relationship to Christ, to many is a sign of death because they're not in Christ. And to others, it's a sweet aroma of life because they see Christ. The Apostle Paul is drawing from an Old Testament uh, rabbinic tradition in which the Torah, the Old Testament law, was often re referred to as a drug or a medicine that either brought benefit or harm to those who took this Torah according to the circumstances of their life. The law could destroy you, or the law could be a delight and a joy to you because it was the revelation of God's character and God's will for your life. Paul is telling us that the gospel is like that. It's an elixir. It is a, a potion, a medicine, but one that can be a deadly poison. If you come to this rock, Jesus Christ, without repentance and faith, Peter says this rock will crush you. But if you come to this rock, this rejected stone, in repentance and faith, this rock, Jesus Christ, becomes a rock upon which you can stand and build your life for eternity. Paul's reminding us that you will be an influence. This is your role in the world. To be an aroma that reflects the smell of Jesus Christ to the world in such a clear way that those who don't know Christ will feel that deep conviction in their soul that that, that they are rejecting the one who claims to be Savior alone. And at the same time, you are so walking with Christ and so in Christ that you are a medicine of life and encouragement and blessing to others. Many of us want to think that we have no responsibility to the world that we live in, but Paul says we do. We are an aroma. Every single one of us, whether we like it or not, is influencing someone. Hopefully we are influencing them to the gospel and to Jesus Christ. 
I remember some years ago when a very popular sports figure, Charles Barkley, argued that he was not a role model. And that came up because in one of his games, he spit on a fan. Now, thankfully, Charles has matured greatly to this point in his life. We've all done stupid things. But he argued, I'm, I'm not a role model. But whether we like it or not, we are all role models. If you are in Christ, God wants you to be an aroma, something coming out of your life and out of your actions and out of your words that, that lets those who aren't in Christ know that they are lost, they are facing death, and that lets those who are in Christ know that they are blessed and they are secure. So I wonder, how do you smell this morning? All the cologne and perfume in the world will not make you smell the way God wants you to smell. It's only the work of the Holy Spirit in your life transforming you, and we will look at that in more detail next week. But his work of transforming you, or as Paul says in Romans chapter 13, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Put on Christ so that when others see you and interact with you, they are seeing Jesus Christ. Paul says, who is adequate for this? And we all say, I'm not. But God, make me adequate. You can make me adequate for the gospel to be an influence on others. Secondly, I confess I am personally inadequate to maintain the kind of integrity that is needed in communicating the gospel of Jesus Christ. I am personally inadequate to maintain the kind of integrity that is necessary in commuting the, communicating the gospel of Jesus Christ. Who is adequate to be a faithful minister of the word of God? I read Paul's words in verse 17 when he says, we're not like so many peddlers of God's word. But as men of sincerity, men as commissioned by God, ministering in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. I read those words and I confess I'm not adequate for that. I know my heart. I know my capacity for evil. I, 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 I know the inclinations I have that aren't always honoring to God. How can I faithfully present the truth of God's word. And Paul would say, I'm not adequate for this. But God makes us adequate so that we don't become what I would call a huckster of God's word. When I grew up around the corner here in the 19th, 
50s and 60s. A couple times a week, this guy with an old station wagon, some of you don't even know what a station wagon is, but it was an old station wagon that was packed with produce. And we called him a huckster. He was selling what he had. And his price was often, if not always, negotiable because he wanted you to take what he had. But Paul says we're not hucksters. Our message is not negotiable. We really don't care if you like it or not. We don't care if you're offended or not by the word of God because we know it's an offense. We know the Bible's a sword. We know it's a rock that, that breaks the hard heart in pieces. But even in Paul's day, there were those who wanted to say what people wanted to, to hear so as to increase their popularity and probably at the same time to enrich their pocketbooks. I was talking to someone the other day and he was telling me, I'm a believer, I love Christ. And I said, well, where do you go to church? He said, well, I don't go very often. He says, I can't find a church that doesn't water down the word of God. Now, the truth is, if you look hard enough, you'll find one. But I understand what he's saying. That he walks in a church and it's a therapy session. It's a feel good, do good time. It's emotionally, you know, warming. But it's not the word of God that's driving to your heart, exposing you to your sin and showing you the glory and the wonder of Jesus Christ. He says, I can't find a church that is faithful to the word of God. Paul says, we don't, we're not hucksters of God's word. We have no selfish intentions. We don't dress up the Bible to make it acceptable and make it palatable to people. He says, contrary-wise, we are men of sincerity. There's no hidden agenda. There's no hidden motive. And I read that and I say, who is adequate for that? By nature, we're all prideful and we like people to like us and we like their affirmations and their applause and uh, who is adequate to be able to share God's word with the sense that, that I'm just going to tell the truth in as compassionate a way as I can, but I will not compromise it. I will not have hidden motives. I'm not adequate for that. He says, we're men of sincerity. We are commissioned by God. We have a sense that God has given us this 
this responsibility of bringing the word of God. And he says, we do this in the sight of God. Yes, we're conscious of our audience. You know, I've read enough about preaching and public speaking about, you know, how you need to relate to your audience, be conscious of your audience. And, but what made Paul a faithful minister of the word of God was that he was more conscious of his audience. I do this, he said, in the sight of God. I do it in Christ. That the ministry, my ministry to others, reflects this new sphere in which I live. I live in Jesus Christ. Who's adequate for this? God, I'm not. Make me adequate. Cleanse me of my pride and ambition and self-interest. Thirdly, I confess that I am personally inadequate to produce genuine fruit in someone else's lives, life. I am personally inadequate to produce genuine fruit in someone else's life. In the third chapter, verses 1 through verse 3, Paul refers to a practice that was going on in the first century where false teachers would often come with forged letters of churches recommending them because it was common, just like they do sometimes today in membership. When you're moving from one city to another city, uh, you can often get a letter from your church saying this person is a person who confesses Christ as Lord, was baptized, is of good character and good standing with the church. And in many denominations, when you come to a new church, you bring that letter, and this letter affirms to people who don't know you that you are a genuine believer and you should be accepted like that. So apparently in the first century, preachers like Paul and others would have letters from churches that would commend them. Yes, this is a true man of God. But there were false teachers who forged letters of churches. And many of those false teachers at the same time were condemning Paul, saying, you're not a true apostle. You're not a true man of God. And Paul simply says, you are my letter. You are my letter. The fruit of my ministry, of the word of God in your life, where the spirit of God has taken that word and transformed your life, has made you different within. You are my letter. And you I have in my heart. I know that the fruit that's been produced in your life is genuine, not because of any external evidence, but the internal evidence that is in your heart that works its way out in your life, but it's internal. You show that you are a letter from Christ 
delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. When uh, Steve and I moved into West Philly in 2009 to plant Grace Church of Philly, uh, I remember meeting an older uh, community leader in the West Philly, Mantua area. And uh, he was a believer, a godly believer, a very dedicated believer. But I had a question about... uh, the part of the city that we were living in. And I asked him one day over coffee, I said, can you explain to me why there are so many churches in this area of the city? Sometimes on every block, there's a storefront that had a church. Why there are so many churches in this area of the city, and yet, The neighborhoods are so, just so lost. Why hasn't the presence of all of these churches affected in any way the community they're living in? I mean, it's not just one church in, I mean, it's almost every block sometimes. He did not hesitate to respond to me, and I've never forgotten his answer. He said the first reason is, is that most of these churches are what he called a cash cow. By that he meant the church is like a cow to the pastor. He's milking it for money. It's a business, he said. It's an enterprise. And he said most of the pastors don't even live in the neighborhood or care about the neighborhood. They just come in, they do their little show, collect their offering, and they're gone. But he said there's another reason. Because many of these churches are full on Sunday morning. He said there is nothing coming from the pulpit that can change people's lives. They can tell stories. They can make you laugh and make you cry and make you feel good or make you feel bad, but they're not teaching the Bible, he said, and only the Bible transforms lives. And then thirdly, and this was sad, And he said, you will notice that most of the churches are filled with older people. Because the young people see the hypocrisy. They don't see genuine Christianity. They see hypocrisy. And they reject what they think is Christianity. They're not really rejecting Christianity. They're rejecting a false presentation of it. But they reject it, and he said... Many of them prefer Islam because it seems more disciplined to them.
There's nothing coming from the pulpit that can change people's lives. Our text describes such a beautiful picture of conversion. It's not something that happens on the outside. Sometimes preachers are good at getting people to conform, to change, to do what they expect, even change behavior. But change behavior is not a changed heart. And changed behavior without a changed heart usually results in a miserable life. A beautiful picture, not with ink in tablets of stone, but with the Spirit of God on fleshly tables of the heart, an inner transformation. And I ask, as Paul must have, who is adequate for this? How can I change your life? How can I sit with you and talk to you about your problems and change your life? And the answer is I can't. I can only bring, and we can only bring to each other, the word of God and prayerfully depend upon the spirit of God to use that to change you within. The fourth confession I am personally inadequate to to represent the glory of the new covenant. I am personally inadequate to represent this new covenant, this covenant which we will see as a covenant of greater glory. Paul says God has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit, for the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. You know, in the history of Israel, there was no one that was more revered than Moses. Moses was the mediator of the old covenant. What a privilege, what a responsibility he has But now Paul says God makes us the ministers of this new covenant, this covenant of greater glory. Who's adequate for this? Who's adequate to talk about the blood of Christ and the death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ and the exclusive claims of Jesus Christ? Who is adequate to talk about how Christ has defeated Satan, how he has conquered sin, how he has conquered our great enemy death? Who's adequate for that? Who is adequate for this new covenant, which becomes a covenant that brings on persecution and hatred because of its exclusive claims over people Who is adequate for that? And Paul's answer is, God makes us sufficient. Briefly in closing, I've looked at the problem of adequacy. Let me talk just for a moment about Paul's answer for adequacy. Going back to the beginning of our text, 
in verse 14. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. And then again in verse 4 and 5 of chapter 3, such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God who has made us sufficient. Three things Paul says. Three, three things God does for his children, his servants. He causes us to triumph. A beautiful picture of this general leading his army and his captives in a victory parade. Candles burning, flowers being strewn about. To the victors, that fragrant, fragrant smell of candles and flowers was the smell of life and victory. To the conquered and the defeated, that fragrant smell was the reminder of death and defeat. If you will have triumph in life, you will have it because God makes you triumph in Jesus Christ. And he always does that when you look to him in faith. If you're defeated about your marriage, about your sin, about your needs in life, your struggles, there's a God who says, I can always cause you to triumph in Jesus Christ. He always causes us to triumph. He makes us a fragrant aroma. He makes us that. That's why we pray and we plead. That's why we read the scripture and ask God as we read scripture to transform us, make us more like Jesus Christ. That's why we tell God, God, I stink. I smell bad and I know it. And I need your gracious work in my life to make me smell good. I'm reminded of the story of a missionary friend of mine who was on his way to an airplane, his airplane in Manila in the Philippines. And like many third world cities, Manila was wall-to-wall -wall traffic. And he had eaten something that did not sit well with him, and he could feel this explosion beginning to work inside of him. And he's telling the taxi driver, hurry up, hurry up! And they're stuck in traffic, stuck in traffic, and there in the backseat of that cab, he exploded. He said, I got to the airport got out of the cab, started walking through the crowd, and people were stepping back from me. 
Little kids were pointing at me. He said, I stunk. Until I finally made the restroom and got changed. And Again, how do you smell? How do your neighbors think you smell? The people you work with, your family. Who is adequate for this task? To be an aroma, an odor that offers life or that lets people know that apart from Christ, there's only death. God makes us triumph. God makes us to be a fragrance. And then thirdly, the sum of the message, God makes us adequate. The same word is used in verse 16 of chapter 2 is in verse 6 of chapter 3. God makes us adequate only when we confess we are inadequate. I can remember the first time I preached in 1970 as a young Christian. Didn't know anything about preaching, but I was asked to preach, and I was scared to death. And I kept praying, God help me, God help me, God help me, God help me, God help me. And God helped me. Fifty years later, Forty-five of those years as a pastor. I still don't feel adequate. On Sunday mornings, you will find me really praying. I pray other times, but you will find me. God, help me. Who's adequate for this? Your word, the glory of the gospel of Christ, the needs of people that are so great. Who is adequate? I'm not. God isn't looking for people that have it all together, that have all the strength, all the capabilities. God is looking for people who will say, I can't do it without you. But I'm willing to step forward to do what you've called me to do, depending on you. Would you bow your head with me for just a moment this morning? Of course, the first step to becoming adequate in Christ is to know his great salvation that he freely offers you, purchased by his death in your place, to know that, to receive it, to know that it's yours, to have Christ come and live in your life. This is the first step to being made adequate, to know the great salvation that God offers you in Christ. But for those of us who are believers, what's the next step? The next step is always the same as the first step. It is to believe in 
and to rejoice in the great, glorious, perfect salvation that we have in Jesus Christ. To be always more consumed with the glory of Christ than with my own inadequacy, my own sinfulness. Father, for anyone here this morning who does not know and experience and rejoice in the great salvation that you offer us in Jesus Christ, I pray that right now, right where they sit, wherever they are, they would say, God, I'm a sinner. I cannot save myself. But I believe Jesus died and rose again that I might have this great, glorious salvation. And Father, I pray for every believer that's listening this morning, that every believer would cry out to you, God, I am inadequate. But I'm willing to do what you call me to do. Believing that you make me adequate in Christ. Father, thank you that you always cause us to triumph in Christ, that you make us a fragrant aroma, that you make us adequate in Christ. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.